As part of Ferrari Fridays, William Ross from the Exotic Car Marketplace will be discussing all things Ferrari and interviewing people that live and breathe the Ferrari brand. Topics range from road cars to racing, drivers to owners, as well as auctions, private sales, and trends in the collector market. Welcome back, everybody, to the Ferrari Marketplace. This is your host, William, and I appreciate everybody listening. And I didn't get an episode out last week. I've been working on some other things, so it kind of got a little busy. But hey, back and ready for more. Um, I hope everyone's enjoying this uh, podcast. I said I'm still working on the kinks and whatnot. Um, I said I don't have some professional studio. You know, it's sound deadening on the walls and all that jazz and whatnot. You know, I'm just kind of doing this on my desktop computer here with the microphone and whatnot. So... I, hopefully it's getting there. I'm working on it. Like I said, any thoughts, any you know, suggestions, topics, anything, hey, just shoot me an email, William at theferrarimarketplace.com. Easy enough. I'd appreciate any input. Uh, like I said, anything I can do to help improve this, um, anything to make this a better listening you know, enjoyment for you guys out there listening, uh, I'd really appreciate it. Hey, I just want to make this a really awesome podcast, everything, you know, everything, anything, about Ferraris, you know, not so much, you know, even in the marketplace, it was for sale. Hey, what happened at auction and events, whatnot. So kind of run the gamut. Like I said, I noticed that in the first few episodes, you know, there's quite a few downloads right off the bat, but it's kind of slowed down just a tad, but I don't know if that's because of the topic, uh, my, <laughs> my crappy podcast speeching, talking, I guess. I don't know how you'd put that, but I don't know. But hey, I appreciate the people that are still listening and uh, keep downloading these new newer episodes. So Again, I really appreciate that. And like I said, any thoughts, suggestions, whatnot, hey, just let me know. Uh, just shoot me that email. I'd really appreciate any input. And hey, also just spread the word. Get it out there. Um, you know, tell your friends, tell your other Ferrari enthusiasts, uh, car enthusiasts, whatnot. You know, uh, tell them to download the episodes and take a listen. Like I said, can't hurt, right? It's not that much time out of your day. And what the heck? Pop it in while you're driving the car. Something to listen to. I don't think my voice is that bad to you. But anyways, onward to today's episode. Today, we are going to talk about the last Ferrari to win Le Mans. And we're going to talk about the race itself, too, because the race is crazy, crazy stuff. I don't know how familiar you all might be with that 1965 race, but it was some crazy stuff. But we are going to talk about chassis number 5893, the last Ferrari to win Le Mans, the 250 LM. Now, a little history behind that car. Um, now, Ferrari's you know, game plan was is you know, they, they were racing that car you know, quite a bit around. Um, I think they built, I believe it was 34 of those cars. Now, they were trying to pull the fast one like they did the year before the GTO. And, you know, in 65, you know, the, the FIA now wasn't having any of it in regards to, you know, oh, that's homologated and you do it. And they did. So... They didn't, he couldn't do the DTO because it wasn't homologated for the uh, GT class. And so he tried to get it for the 250 LM, but they said, nah, I don't think so. Um, they were not going to let that fly. So they had to run in the prototype class, which was going up against the Ford GT40s. Now, everyone's very familiar with that story, Ford versus Ferrari, and, you know, bringing everything, to, you know, to light and whatnot. And, you know, they, their first shot at this was in 64. And sorry about that. I had a phone call coming in. Apologize for that. Um, but anyways, everyone's very familiar with that whole story. But, you know, the first race, 
the first time Ford I was entered was 64. Just everything went to hell in a handbasket. And 65, you know, they brought quite a few. Then um, they had two of the cars with the huge-ass seven-liter engines in them. You know, they were just going all hell-bent, you know, to beat Ferrari and whatnot. But anyways, that's when I have the story about this. is Sorry about the 250LM. So anyways, they had to run those cars in the prototype class against the Fords. So, so be it. So basically, they all thought they had no shot. Um, you know, so there was quite a few of these cars that were entered. A majority of them were actually uh, entered by privateers. Um, the one that we're going to talk about was actually, you know, entered by Luigi Cinetti's North American racing team, NART, um, and do it. So that's where this came in. Now, there was a, said, there was a few other private entries that were put out there, but there's also a few factory entries that were put also out there. So there was, some ni- there was a nice effort behind it, but they just thought no, they didn't have a chance because they were going to be classified in the prototype, and they're going against the Ford GT40s. So anyways, they, you know, hey, set things up. Let's get racing, right? Um, so this car, they qualified in 11th place. I mean, yeah, it's down there a little bit, a little bit ways. You know, the thing was is the G4 GT40s were, you know, the top end speed on those things was absolutely ridiculous. You know, uh, the fastest that's ever been seen there at Le Mans. I think at one point they were... 219 miles an hour, I think it was, on the Mulsan. So, obviously, those things were, you know, trucking along. Long story short, we know what happened with the Ford GT40s. But anyways, in this particular car, there was actually, you know, and like I said, not sure I'm familiar with her, but listed on the driving entry, there was actually, it says there was three. There was Maston Gregory, Yokon Rint, but also American Ed Hugis. Now, this is kind of a, you know, as they say, a, um, a bar stool story type deal uh, in regards to Ed Hugus actually being one of the drivers or participating. Um, you know, it was really kept hush-hush for a long time, but, you know, certain people said no, certain people said yes, Ed Hugus said yes. Um, Luigi Cinetti Jr., who was actually at the race in the pits, said no, he didn't get in the car and race because the big thing was, is, you know, by the rules and everything like that, if he had gotten actually, if he had been in the car when uh, Maston came in and he got in, so if there would have been a big to-do about it and they would have got disqualified. So they really didn't um, get into it too much about it. So it kind of kept hush-hush. But it said, you know, in the the lore of the 24 Hours of Le Mans, um, it's pretty much stated that, you know, he actually did drive. But... You know what, as I said, it all depends on who you were talking with. So anyways, so they qualify in 11th place. So they get trucking along, you know, race starts, the GT40s, you know, they take off just like bats out of hell. You know, gone, going to there. Well, in the fourth hour of the race, the car actually ran into some mechanical problems. Um, and they had, a, uh, change, they had to change a distributor on the car and lost about 30 minutes. So they actually were like about... 10 laps down, four hours into the race, and they were down in 18th position. So um, it, it's, you know, they had some catch up to, and basically, you know, kind of more to the story was Maston and Yokan did not even want to be there because they knew they had, in their minds, they had no shot of winning, you know, and they thought it was just a big waste of time. 
So they kind of had an agreement between the two of them and whatnot. And again, we don't know if that was involved in this or not, but um, had another thing. We're just going to drive flat out. We're just going to beat the piss out of this car and just go balls out and see what we can do. Um, now, obviously, everyone knows back in those days with the uh, cars, it was more, you know, it wasn't a sprint like it was today where you're almost doing qualifying laps, you know, lap in, lap out. You know, you had to, I want to say nurse the car, but you had to really take care of your machinery back then with your cars. You know, not saying they were super delicate, but, you know, this equipment, you know, being manufactured back then, the brakes, engine, you know, stuff like that, tires, stuff, you know, wasn't made to be beaten on lap in, lap out, lap in, lap out. You know, so you really had to, and again, I don't want to say nurse the car, but you had to be very, I say delicate, but you, you know, you just had to know how to work the car and not push it to an extreme, but also not go too slow because obviously you want to win. But anyways, so these two were, you know, had a thing say, screw it. We're just going to go balls out as fast as we can. And then especially when the fact is came by the fourth hour, uh, they had mechanical problems. They were stuck in the pits for about a half hour and went 10 laps down. So that kind of like putting things, oh, well, what's going on? So anyways, so cruising along um, and, you know, kind of going so they get back in the race. And you know, no one's really even paying attention to this car. And, you know, because it's way down. It's 10 laps down. And there's really no way they'd have a shot. And they're, they're mine. Anyways, even getting on the podium was, you know, kind of out there. So... Like I said, keep things interesting. You know, we're just going to go go balls out. Screw it. So anyways, uh, the Ford, uh, the seven liter cars were some of the first that were getting uh, knocked out of the race. First, you know, they had massive, you know, just gas mileage issues were just horrendous. They keep having to make so many stops because these engines were just gulping down gasoline. Uh, and then the big thing happened was because of the monster's torque out of those seven liters, their transmission just all blew up. So those two were out. First ones out were those big seven liters. It was just, you know, one thing was, uh, you know, just the motors itself sucking up gas, but the transmission just couldn't handle the torque. But then the smaller engine Fords hit trouble. And so after six hours, they all the Ford GT4s were out of the race. So all Ferraris held the top five places. And there it was. It was theirs to lose. So, but anyway, <laughs> and I could say, and lose they did because the factory entries ended up, you know, falling apart. But anyways... The um, in the middle of the night, the uh, cars from the British Marinello Concessionaires cars they went out during the night. Um, then the factory cars or factory sponsor, you know, started to fall by the wayside. Now, the one thing was, as regards to you know, they're saying that the disc brakes, you know, that got manufactured when the cars were not the greatest. Um, so what happened was, is they were telling their drivers, hey, you know, instead of using your brakes so much, thing. Use the engine to slow the car down. So, and as you know, that puts an immense amount of strain on a motor and transmission trying to do that. You know, if you're going, you know, 110 miles an hour in the corner and you drop it down into third or second, you know, that should only be topping out at 80 miles an hour or something like that, you know, that, that's really going to just blow things up. Well, sure enough, bam, all the factory entries from Ferrari started going by the wayside. So, all of these were pretty much, you know, you know, come morning, you know, all those, the factory engines, everything were uh, all done, everything like that. But now, see, in the middle of the night, this is where that, you know, the legend, the story comes in about this 
supposed third driver, Ed Hugis. Now, what came about was, obviously, you know, with the rules and regulations going on, and, and those two, you know, Gregory and Rent not even giving two shits about the race, you know, and just going off. Well, when Gregory was in the car and they had stint, Johan, Joachim Rent just, he disappeared. And I, it's kind of debatable. People sure really aren't exactly sure if he was over there sleeping or if he went, he was having some beers and having some fun or whatnot. Some even said he actually even left the track entirely because he figured there's no way this car was going to make it. So what happened was is when Mastin came in to change drivers because he was just absolutely beat. He had been doing a long stint. I think he did it like a two or three, you know, uh, stints, uh, straight stints in the car. Um, he came in and obviously Rent was nowhere to be found. So they don't know what to do. So this is where the story comes in, where Ed Hugis jumped in the car in the, under the cover of darkest and took off and started driving. Um, how many hours? Not exactly sure, but again, because it really was never listed as him being a driver, so it wasn't really kind of written down, saying, oh, I did this many hours, this did this stint, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I said, you know, today's son, you know, he didn't definitively say no, but he didn't, did, did not definitively say yes that he drove in a car. But his said it was though he thought it was highly unlikely. So anyways, so coming back and... You know, so supposed Hugus is out in the car and he comes back in and there we go. And guess who gets back in the car? Gregory. Massing gets back in the car and starts driving some more. So by this time, Gregory's back in the car. They found Rent and Rid's like shocked as, as all get out. Because you can imagine saying, well, wait, the car's not retired? So it's uh, kind of, you know, funny. It's like, oh, okay, well, maybe we do have a shot at this now. Because he's coming in, what happened was, is they were basically coming in the morning, they were in, the cars all falling out, they were in second place. But here's kind of another loop in the story, kind of just another, I would say not curveball, but another, you know, one story for the ages. Um, they were actually behind, in second place, behind the Belgian team that was also in the 250 LM and running. Now, these all European cars were on Dunlops. But the NART car with Gregory and Rint were on Goodyear's. Now, Mastin Gregory and Johan Rint were ex exceptionally faster than the drivers of the Belgian team. And so in the morning hours, a re certain representative from the Dunlop Tire Company comes down to their pit, to the NART pits, and I want to say kindly asked, but basically states, uh, and under the guise that this was coming from the big man himself, Enzo, please slow, have your drivers slow down, let the Belgian team win because they're on Dunlops and you guys are on Goodyear's, and we can't have that because Ferraris at that time were all sold supplied with Dunlops. So, Chinetti being Chinetti, and being probably the only one that could really kind of, I guess, stand up to Enzo, I mean, historize what and everything he'd done for him, said piss off. Uh, that wasn't going to happen. So, Everything's moving forward, and funny enough, what does happen to the Belgian team? One of their Dunlops explodes, and it just tears up the car to all the hell in the handbasket and shreds the bodywork to whole nine yards. So it just goes to pot. So by the time they were able to get the car back to the pits and get things repaired, it's over and done with. Rint and Gregory are back in the front. So anyways, they cruise to victory. And they win by five laps. 
I mean, isn't that awesome or what? I mean, from the start of the race where two guys basically said, we have no chance of winning this race to winning by five laps. I mean, they were 10 laps down after four hours in. Usually that thing, forget it, you're done. And then Rint disappearing in the middle of the night. Um, then, you know, supposedly Ed Hugas getting the car in the middle of the night because he disappeared, you know, so... There's all these little stories within the story about stuff in regarding this car or this race in the car and the drivers and everything. So will it ever be confirmed? No. Ed Hughes passed away, unfortunately, in 2006. So, but, you know, Ed was a super nice gentleman, very honest man. And he had made the comment and said that, yeah, he did drive in the car. And But again, some people say no. And I don't know if there's paranoia that they think, you know, that they're going to go back 50-some-odd years and basically say, oops, sorry, <laughs> we're going to take that win away from you. I doubt it highly. Um, what's done is done. So, But it's kind of just a very, very interesting story. But that car, the last Ferrari to win Le Mans, the 250 LM chassis 5893, now resides in the Indianapolis Motor Museum in Indianapolis at the Speedway. Um I always thought this was kind of odd in regards to the certain cars. And I don't know if you've ever been to that museum, but it's awesome. It's got some cool stuff. And you would think going there, oh, they probably just got old Indy cars and, you know, the front engine stuff and the Offenhausers and that stuff, you know, from back in the day. But actually, they have quite a collection. Now, I know recently they've been starting to sell off a bunch of stuff that really either, A, I don't say need to work or whatnot, really didn't fit into their parameters. I think they're kind of restructuring things. But they got some really cool stuff. I mean, they got the last Friday one of the I can't imagine what that thing would be worth if that thing went out to market or even to auction. I know in 2014, uh, a 250 LM or recently like for, went for almost like just under $20 million, something like that. And that wasn't even one that won Le Mans, the last far to win Le Mans. So you got to figure this thing's probably $30, $40 million, be my guess. Um, it'd be interesting to find out if someone had to try. I mean, I, I don't think you could price it. I mean, I think if it went to auction, you have to put a reserve at least $40 million on it. That, that, that's me. Um, I don't know about you guys. Let me know your thoughts. You know, shoot me an email. Let me know what you guys think. Um, but I'd love to hear that thing run. I think now there's some videos online. If you go to YouTube and whatnot, there's some of the, um, you know, histories like back in 2014, uh, Sotheby's, uh, I think it was Sotheby's, um, you know, has a video of it driving around. It's, you know, early morning, it's only like three and a half minutes long, but you hear that thing run. Uh, I know DK Engineering's got one. DK does a ton of stuff with the Ferraris and stuff like that. So, but those things sound just absolutely phenomenal. Um, but anyways, that's pretty much what I wanted to talk about today was the last Ferrari to win Le Mans. Ferrari 250 LM chassis 5893. It's a great story. I mean, that in itself could be a movie, it sounds like. I mean, I don't know if you could try and squeeze two hours out of that, but um, it's pretty funny. I mean, it's just everything about it from Gregory and Rent just, you know, saying screw this, we have no shot, let's just, just beat the hell out of the car and just go balls out um, right off the bat, and then being 10 laps down, Jochen just disappearing and whatnot. And, you know, and then a little side note I always thought was interesting, you know, whatever you say Mass and Gregory, you know, the guy's from Kansas, guy, and but you say his name, you think he's German or Austrian, he's from Europe or something like that, Mass and Gregory. It sounds like a European name, not an American name. You know, and Jochen Rent being the only F1 driver to post, posthumously win the F1 title, um, you know, died tragically uh, that year, uh, but he still ended up winning the title with, I think it was like two or three races to go, something like that. But, you know, um, tragic story, but phenomenal driver. I mean, he probably would have went on to win a few more F1 titles in his time and probably some more, you know, 24 hours of the mile, whatnot. I mean, 
just a phenomenal guy. Um, so anyways, but that's all I have to talk about today for this podcast, this episode. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. Like I said, spread the word, get it out there, pass it around, shoot emails to people, post it wherever. I'd really appreciate all your help kind of make this grow. Uh, and any suggestions and thoughts, you know, for this episode or next other episodes, I mean, please let me know. Um, I'm saying I'm going to try and mix it up. I'm trying to see what you guys more like to listen to. Like I said, it seems like you like more about the cars itself than maybe like events like Amelia going to Cavalino, stuff like that. I don't know. But I'll try and do is get more specific about the cars. I know one of the first episodes I did, I did on 250 GTOs, to all of them. I'm going to get into more specific ones. And I think not next episode, maybe the episode after that. We're going to get into the one that was parked on a trailer out in the field uh, and sat there for years and got sold to a shop class in Texas and which now resides in Mr. Uh, Ralph Lauren's collection and is worth God's amount of money. Um, But anyways, that's coming up. So I appreciate it. Everyone take care and see you on the flip side. Thanks. This episode has been brought to you by Grand Touring Motorsports as part of our Motoring Podcast Network. For more episodes like this, tune in each week for more exciting and educational content from organizations like the Exotic Car Marketplace, the Motoring Historian, Brake Fix, and many others. If you'd like to support Grand Touring Motorsports and the Motoring Podcast Network, sign up for one of our many sponsorship tiers at www.patreon.com forward slash GT Motorsports. Please note that the content, opinions, and materials presented and expressed in this episode are those of its creator, and this episode has been published with their consent. If you have any inquiries about this program, please contact the creators of this episode via email or social media, as mentioned in the episode.